Friends, I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and I just sort of kind of got my act together. This is an ad lib. Uh, you know, I'm not taking notes. I'm not doing research, but I'm going to publish a, a series. I think it will be as many as 10 episodes, each episode 10 minutes or less, about the, the um, beginnings of the great political movement that produced uh, Donald J. Trump, that produced the MAGA movement, that produced the... Uh, America First movement, a great patriotic populist movement. We're going to talk about that from the beginning, from one man's perspective, my own personal experiences with the uh, Taxes Enough Already movement, which morphed into the Taxes Already movement or the Tea Party, a part of the Republican Party, and then now has gone through the uh, um, and amorphous again, we'll talk about the the changes and the rechain and the eventual uh, selection of Donald Trump and then the present ramifications of it today in the primaries and then in the election in 224. We'll see how that goes. But it will be a series and each day I'll put them out each day, uh, one at a time. Uh, and then I'll probably put them all together in one big, gigantic uh, broadcast. So please be looking for them. I thank you for even listening. I'm just one guy, a little guy, one of the deplorable, irredeemable, uh, great unwashed in the middle America, whom the elitist, liberal, Democrat, globalists dislike. But I appreciate you listening, and uh, I appreciate you because uh, I just do. Okay, I just have. okay. I'm gonna stop there. Uh, please look for these broadcasts under the Frederick Henry Show. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great day. Friends, this is Frederick Henry, and I'm glad to be with you this morning. It's the day after the elections in Wyoming and Alaska and places like that. And I just want to reflect about something that I think, to me, really gets underemphasized. And that is that the, the present situation in politics is reflective of a massive massive change in the way people think. I think it begins way back with what was known as the Tea Party, the Taxes Enough Already Party. Let me just try to do a little synopsis of the way I see it. Years ago, uh, I went to Washington for a rally. That was, I don't even know how many years ago, 20 years ago, when the Taxes Enough Already rally happened. It wasn't a political party. It was a groundswell movement. It was a populist movement of people who said that they were tired of the central government having all the power and authority. They were tired of being taxed, taxed, taxed. They were tired of, you know, uh, inflation, economic uh, inequality. They were tired of a lot of stuff. And they got together. They went to Washington to have a rally. And I went there with my wife. And we were there on the mall uh, in Washington. Thousands and tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of people were there. Homemade signs, really homemade signs, not pre-made signs, not purchase signs, not organization signs. And people came, they came with their children on their shoulders. Uh, They came with their children in their strollers. Uh, They came with their uh, families, their mothers and fathers. They came, it was a big frolicking thing. And it was Serious. It was very serious. The people there were not just there for a gigantic holiday. This was not Woodstock. It was a serious expression of 
the people's popular feeling about politics. And they were upset and they wanted to express themselves. And at the time, Nancy Pelosi was in power and all that good stuff. And she dismissed them as just, uh, you know, turf grass. I mean, I, I don't even remember. She just dismissed us. Like Hillary had uh, later on deploring, uh, calling us deplorables and irredeemables, uh, people from the flyover country, etc. Just dismissing the American people as being inconsequential. And we can go into a long thing about that, but let's just skip over that for now. This rally in Washington, D.C. was peaceful, but massive. It was happy, but serious. It was focused, but not on being a political party. It was focused on making the feelings of the people known to their elected representatives because the people actually believed that the elected representatives cared about what they thought. The people at the Tea Party rally the T, it wasn't a party, T, T-E-A, Tax Enough Already movement, let's call it that, movement, when they gathered together for that rally, they had in their soul an idea of America. They had in their soul an idea of the United States of America. They had in their soul an idea about the American people and a love for democracy and a love for nation and country and, and American way of life and everything that goes with that patriotism, very patriotic rally. And they believe that the people in Washington, uh, the elected representatives at the minimum, uh, that from the president on down, and even the bureaucracy really loved America, really loved the people of America, and really sought the, the good of America. And so they rallied and make their expressions known. And they had no intention of becoming a political party. But I noticed already in the beginning of that, uh, people, uh, I don't remember all the names of the politicians, who came out to speak to the crowd for the purpose of using this to propel themselves into political office. And after the crowd left, it was a wonderful crowd of people. I, I can't even express. Uh, people lost their credit cards and, and, and other people brought them to the podiums and said, this is a credit card from Mr. and Mrs. So-on, you lost it, and here's a, here's a driver's license of Mr. and Mrs. So-on, you lost it, and here's a child of Mr. and Mrs. So-on, and you lost it, etc. People were really trying to help. And people, some fainted, and there was medical hair there, but the people made way, they, they did everything they possibly can to help each other to have a community, uh, to be a one people together to express themselves at that Washington rally. This is the second piece of this uh, great political movement. Now, after th this rally was over, people went home. And I don't think I remember it. Any really significant political leaders rose out of that. It was a populist groundswell of people expressing their opinions and feelings in their, in their heartfelt feelings to their elected representatives in the total belief that this meant something to those elected representatives and the bureaucracy. And when they went home, they found out that some people got together. I don't know the names. Uh, I know names like uh, Jordan Amash maybe showed up. Some people like that. I don't even know for sure. And these people started saying, well, we have to make this a political party. And they started talking about it as not taxes already enough 
uh, uh, taxes enough already movement, but they started talking about it as the Tea Party, P-A-R-T. And um, they uh, aligned themselves with the Republican Party and they began to get a slate of people together because, understandably, uh, these political people saw a groundswell, a, a, a great wave that they could ride and get into political office for themselves. And I know that Adam Kinzinger was one of them. I think Jordan Amash was another. And there were many others who rode that big populist wave into office. And the people uh, in the movement, they sort of went along with it. They said, well, that's right. We, We didn't really get far with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. They weren't listening. And the administration wasn't listening. Uh... Previous to Trump, that is, previous to Trump, the Obama administration, and even before Obama, I think, it might have even been, uh, who knows. Anyway, nobody was listening, really. They, oh, this is nice. But the political movement began, and the people in the Taxes Enough Already movement just said, okay, good, we have people who are willing to be warriors, to be champions, to step forward, and to fight the fight for us and bring it home with new legislation, new regulations, and new new uh, procedures so that we can, you know, be a stronger and greater nation. And so they went along with it, and they voted these uh, TEA, Taxes Enough Already, leaders into office, only to find out that these leaders were selfish, self-centered, self-aggrandizing, self-promoting politicians who, as soon as they got into office, turned their back on the populist movement, turn their back on the people. We told the people, like, they may not have called us that, but I believe they thought we were the irredeemables uh, uh, and the like more. I mean, please. And so the people became disillusioned. They didn't really believe anymore in that. And they went home and they waited to see when things happened. And things didn't happen. Nothing good happened. But that feeling, the feeling of America, the feeling of patriotism, which was uh, expressed by the TEA movement, Taxes Enough Already movement, that feeling of love of country and love of state and love of community, that feeling of love of church, whether that was a Christian church or a Jewish church or a Hindu church, didn't make any difference, love of church, uh, that sense of community that they experienced during that rally and other rallies during that time remained. It didn't go away. There was disillusionment. There was disappointment, uh, mainly disappointment. I don't think there was disillusionment yet. But in the subsequent years, the disappointment in the elected people who ran the crest wave of the TEA movement Uh, became disillusionment, and the people looked for a new leader. And they found one in one Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And basically, the whole uh, populist groundswell of people from across the nation, of every walk of life, every age group, who had this sense of patriotism, found a person who could do it for them. And they, in many and various ways, expressed it. And Donald Trump came forward and said, I accept the mantle of being the leader of your movement. Donald Trump didn't make the movement. The movement made Donald Trump. Uh, uh, Donald Trump didn't create the thinking of the 
America first, America great, make America great, make America first. Um, he expressed the, the opinions of that great groundswell of Americans, citizen voters, who said that's how they felt, that's what they believed in, and that was their cherished um, goal in life, to make America great again, so well spoken by President Trump, to make America first and not last, and not in any kind of aggrandizement. We didn't want to go stomping over nations. Uh, recently, we had John Bolton express how he, during his time, used to uh, usurp other governments and other nations, uh, replace leaders, Republican leaders, and use the secret forces of the CIA and all the secret forces of our intelligence agencies and State Department and like more. John Bolton saying how that we carried out, we carried out coup d'etat around the globe. We did that. We took out who we wanted to take out and we put in who we wanted to put in. It's called nation building. It was actually nation destroying and it was American imperialism. But be that as it may, John Bolton uh, believes himself to be a patriot. And Dick Cheney, similar, uh, around the globe, uh, toppling governments, um, putting in new governments, asserting American imperialism under the Bush administration, uh, uh, and promoting warfare to topple people. Hillary Clinton and the like against uh, Muammar Gaddafi and the great Benghazi uh, disaster where we were, uh, she was involved with other people in gun running, um, guns and ammunition to terrorist organizations around the world who we believed as American government should have these weapons in order to topple uh, governments that our corporate military complex, uh, political, corporate, military complex, didn't believe should be there. It wasn't in our best imperial interest. That was um, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. You know, what does it matter that these people died? Or what does it matter that these things happened? It matters a lot. Anyway, the end of that story is to say that the T, the T, Taxes Enough Already movement sought a leader. We didn't find it in Hillary Clinton. We, we thought we may have found it in Barack Obama, only to be disappointed again and disillusioned. Um, and so we turned to Donald Trump, who became President of the United States, because we, the people, the American people, voted him into office twice. Now, we won't go on to all into the toppling or the, the election fraud or the stealing of the election, all that kind of stuff, because it only churns people up, even though this a speaker believes it actually did happen. If you don't believe it, then watch 2,000 Mules by Dinesh D'Souza and subsequent materials, and you'll find out that it's more than likely the election was um, rigged against Donald Trump and mainly, mainly, my friends, against you and me. Uh, this is part three of the Tea Party movement. Now, people might say, well, what do you mean Donald Trump was a result of the Taxes Enough Already movement? Well, we didn't see, they would say, uh, the Tea Party people. The Tea Party had become part of the Republican Party. Yes, you're right. Yes, you're right. So it wasn't actually, in that sense, an organization called the Taxes Enough Already movement, which really didn't have much of an organization to begin with. As soon as it became part of the Republican Party and elected people like uh, uh, Kinzinger and people like that, 
uh, the people, like I said, became disappointed and disillusioned, and they no longer were willing to back anything called the T, T-E-A, party. Uh, and they began to think of it as the Tea Party, like the Boston Tea Party or something like that. And it all got mixed up and mushed up and it was disorganized. And basically the, the, uh, the idea of an organization called the Tea Party never really took hold and never really happened anymore after that point because it was hijacked by uh, political operatives and self-aggrandizing, self-promoting and self-serving political types like Kinzinger and eventually many others. And so what happens is it sort of goes underground, as it were, but it's still the idea of America and patriotism and uh, America exceptionalism and America the greatest country on the earth and America the beautiful and, you know, God bless America. And uh, like the song says, America, America, God shed his grace on thee and crown your good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. That still was in the hearts and souls of a great majority of Americans. Although by then, uh, by the time Trump comes around, a reaction had started to set in by mainly uh, people on the the East Coast and the West Coast who were fashioned themselves other than Americans. They were the elite East Coast establishment or the elite West Coast establishment that they called themselves. They didn't call themselves two-legged uh, human beings. They didn't call themselves um, people. They didn't call themselves Americans. They called themselves the elite. And th- this eliteness goes with power and money and privilege. And this was best exemplified by uh, Hillary Clinton who called us uh, deplorable, called the the rest of Americans who weren't identified, self-identified as the East Coast or the West Coast elite people. They were not elite, they were just people. They aggrandized themselves, they thought of themselves, they called themselves, they postured themselves, they pretended that they were the real America and the rest of us were just peasants, with dirt under our fingernails and rednecks and um, deplorable, irredeemable uh, people who are the dregs of society. That was Hillary Clinton's big fault, and that was the elite's big fault, and it still is. But that's how it began, and they began to set up an antagonistic idea, a different kind of political movement against uh, the TEA movement. And this different movement, exemplified by Hillary Clinton was what I would call today liberal democrat globalism. Liberal democrat globalism. This idea was shared by some Republicans. There's, nobody could deny that. Uh, Republicans in name only ever hear that word rhino, R-I-N-O. It stands for Republicans in name only. And that, that phrase has been around way back when with um, Rush Limbaugh, and the like, or rhino uh, Republicans in name only, who were in serving in the Congress and kept getting reelected because the people had no other alternative. There was nobody else other than these people. We weren't given a chance, uh, a meaningful chance, to vote for anyone other than these rhinos, if there were such people. And so 
This movement, exemplified by um, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and the like more, uh, Dick Cheney, George Bush, George Bush, uh, really uh, acted as though maybe they were really with the TEA people. They were really with America. They really believed in America, the greatest nation in the world, and America, a land of exceptional opportunity and exceptional freedom. Uh, But they really regarded that for themselves. They had the freedom. There's an old saying, it's good for me, but not for you. Or as put in old terms, it's good for me, but it's not good for thee. So these people held to themselves the East Coast elitist establishment, so-called. This included uh, corporate executives. Uh, This included uh, financial executives. Goldman Sachs is a big name. Uh, Those kind of folk, you know. BlackRock, another big name in the financial area. The banks, the big corporate banks. And it included um, academics. Harvard, Yale, University of California, Berkeley. uh, People who... Uh, were uh, um, snobs, personally. They, that's what they were. They were snobs. They, they thought of themselves as better than anybody else, smarter than anybody else, and, and they deserved to be privileged because they were privileged. They were wealthy, and they were powerful, and, uh, and they asserted that against the TEA movement, the Taxes Already movement. But, as I said, the Taxes Already movement when it became a, a mass feeling. It, it sort of the movement went out of existence, but the feeling didn't go out of existence. Uh, the, 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 the heart of the movement didn't go out of existence. The feelings of America, America, America didn't go out of existence. And the pride and the love of country and the pride and the love of freedom and the respect and appreciation for the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, those things did not go out of existence. And so, having found a champion in Donald Trump, they elected him president of the United States, much to everybody's surprise. And Donald Trump delivered. He delivered what the populist movement asked him to deliver. He delivered an America first agenda. He uh, uh, delivered a make America great agenda. He delivered a American economic success agenda. Uh, I remember one of the, the and success, I remember one of the rallies uh, 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 Mr. Trump at that time said that many people are saying to him, why does he talk about money and making America wealthy again? And he said, because money gets things done. And see, he, he also, uh, President Trump uh, brought a realism and maturity and experience and depth of insight and intelligence and political acumen and corporate wisdom to, <coughs> as I was saying, Donald Trump brought a realism, political realism, maturity, insight. He brought uh, experience in corporate America. He, he brought with him a skill set that was unique in American politics And as the chosen leader of the populist movement, which began with the TEA people, he accepted the challenge, became the president of the United States by election, a free election, and he started to enact an America first, 
make America great, American exceptionalism, love of country, love of flag, love of freedom, love of constitution agenda. And the people were thrilled because finally they found a person with dignity and integrity and who would do what the people asked him to do. Now, people say, how could you call Donald Trump a man of dignity? He was a man of dignity. He had dignity. It may not have been your kind of dignity, but it was most certainly the kind of dignity that this popular populist uh, political movement wanted. It wasn't the elite uh, liberal Democrat globalist uh, dignity. Uh, That's snobbery. But it was down hard, down with the people. Donald Trump may have been a billionaire, but you know, Gates, Bill Gates, is worth, I think, $178 billion, $178 billion. I think um, the other big investment guy, uh, the Sage of Omaha, I think he's worth $200 billion. There are 500 billionaires in the United States. Trump is a little tiny fish in a big pond. He's just $5 billion, not even significant in the billionaire category. And so he brought uh, also clout. He, He knew how to handle big corporate people. And that was because Donald Trump was a builder. He wasn't just a talker. He was a doer. He was a person who believed in accomplishment. Donald Trump came from New York City, which has its own uniqueness. But in order to build in New York City, you had to deal with many, many realities, namely uh, the workers' unions. You had to deal everything in New York City in the building trades, probably everything in New York City, period, was connected to the powerful union bosses and other people, corporate bosses as well. And so if you wanted a loan of money from a bank, you had to deal with the corporate bosses. These are big people, Goldman Sachs and uh, all the other investment firms in New York City who, uh, they, they don't just give money away. You have to prove to them that you can accomplish what you, so you come to a bank, um, Chase Manhattan Bank or Bank of America or any of the big banks, um, Morgan Stanley and uh, so forth, and you say, give me uh, billions and billions of dollars to build buildings, well, they're just going to throw the money at you because your name is Trump. You're going to have to prove to them that you can do the job. So Trump began his career by getting money and building, actually, if you look at New York City, folks, basically everything below like 30th Street, even below yeah, 30th Street, is Donald Trump land, especially on the waterfront where he built mega, mega, mega. He renewed New York City. He rebuilt a city which was greatly in decline. And he did that with the help of Rudy Giuliani because not only do you have to deal with the corporate bosses and the bankers and the unions, you have to deal with the politicians. And so by God's grace, Rudy Giuliani came into a city which was going downhill. I mean, really going downhill fast. Crime was on the increase. Uh, People were afraid. People were in need of security. Rudy Giuliani came in with uh, a new police chief. He cleaned up the downtown. He cleaned up the gangs. He cleaned up the subways. 
He restored order and civility to daily life in New York City. He jailed the bad people. He didn't put them out on bail. And he promoted the good of the good people. That was Rudy Giuliani. He joined forces with Donald Trump to rebuild Lower Manhattan. And they together they did it. And so with the corporate uh, bankers uh, willing to take a bet on Trump, especially because Trump was allied with the political leadership at um, uh, New York City, and Trump himself being a, 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 a strong, powerful presenter of his own case, they were willing to invest. Well, there was one more factor. Actually, two more factors. The union bosses. And in those days, union bosses were powerful. They still are. But union bosses needed jobs. Jobs were scarce. The, the city was going downhill. The construction trades were going downhill. People were not making a living anymore. And that meant the power of the union bosses was declining. And so Trump went to them and think of this guy, Trump. You know how he is. He's he's not a, a wallflower. He went in there and talked to these union bosses and basically, I believe, said to them, look, you guys are going down. Uh, the city's going down. Construction trade is going down. A disaster is about to strike. Join with me and rebuild the city. Now, the union bosses understood that and they said, OK, we'll give you a shot. Well, that was fine. They let out the word to the workers. But the workers said, well, you know, who's this guy, Trump? He parades around. He brags. He, he, he made, you know, he's a big mouth. Uh, we don't necessarily. Well, Trump went down to the trenches. He went down to the work sites. He put on a hard hat. He worked, he walked among the workers. He stopped among the workers. He went to the job site with the workers. He watched the construction. He chatted with them. As you saw him do it during his presidency, he became a guy of guys, a man of mans, a worker of workers, and he convinced the workers. So you, he convinced the workers, he convinced the, the, the uh, union bosses, he convinced the bankers, he convinced the politicians, and then he accomplished the task. Donald Trump built Lower Manhattan. And that started a huge trend of building in Lower Manhattan by others. And the investment firms came back. Uh, the unions came back. The workers came back. Uh, the politicians came back, at least at that time, to rebuild the city and make it great again. Make New York City great again. And so Donald Trump, in becoming president of the United States, used those same skills, which he had learned in the um, streets of New York City, the back alleys, uh, the work sites, uh, the boardrooms, um, wherever he was doing his stuff. You know, he, had, he was a negotiator and he knew how to be tough. He knew how to be fair and he knew how to be truthful and he knew how to be dignity. He had dignity or better word, integrity, integrity. People believed him because he told the truth. He did what he said. He, he didn't say what he didn't mean. He didn't lie. He didn't betray everybody. There was no reason for disappointment and disillusionment because he delivered the goods that he said he was going to deliver. And people were happy. And New York City was rebuilt and it was prosperous. And that trend continues to this day, more or less in the building area, not necessarily in the political area anymore, because the Democrats swooped in again and wiped out Giuliani. And and now, subsequently, under Adams, they're wiping out just about all progress in the political and in the um, civility and the law enforcement and the law abiding. That, that's being wiped out by the Democrats. And New York City is becoming a hellhole 
all over again. It doesn't have to happen, but it's happening. So back to Donald Trump. He brought this skill set to the presidency and the people appreciated it. They appreciated the honesty. Yeah, he was a bragger. But, you know, when you go to the boardroom, of the uh, big corporate banks, you don't say, oh, gee, shucks, oh, my, please, I'm a little tiny guy with a high-pitched voice, and I'm afraid that you, I want you to please just give me a break, and home, blah, 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 blah. They don't care about that. They don't care about that. They want to see strength. They want to see power. They want to see skill. They want to see a man who they believe in and that he can accomplish what he says he said he was going to do. And they believed they gave him a chance, and he proved that they were right in giving him a chance, and that was the beginning of the process. You don't go to union bosses and say, oh, I'm just a little man trying to build a little building, and you guys aren't helping me with the steel workers and the electrical workers and the, and the plumbers and, the, and, and the, the other people, the iron workers, and, and you're not helping with the garbage people and, the, and the, the public utilities people. Please help me. No, they don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. They want to hear power. They want to hear self-confidence. They want to hear a man who they can believe in and a man who says what he means and means what he says and then gets the job done. And that was President Trump. That was Donald J. Trump. And you don't go to the workers and do that either. You go to the workers and you befriend them. You understand them. You listen to them. You talk to them, not at them or past them. You don't disregard them as deplorables or irredeemables or just hard hat workers or just uh, the dregs of society or just people who get their fingernails dirty. You regard them as the heart and soul of your project. And his project was to build buildings and build successfully. And so when he went to the workers, he regarded them with respect and he understood them and he went with them. And he talked to them, not past them. And he was with them. And they responded appropriately because he could be believed in. He was someone whom they could believe in, and they did. And that's what made Donald Trump president of the United States. Now, Donald Trump talks about himself. We all understand that. Um, but I'm trying to explain in this that, you know, you could got, regard that as a fault, but I think. Rather than regard it as a fault, regard it as the uniqueness of Donald John Trump and the unique ability he brings to the job. And he says what he means and he means what he says. He says what he's going to do and he does it. He delivers on his promises and he can be trusted. These are the big things. Whether or not he has mean tweets, which I don't think he did. I don't think he had. He was blunt. He told the truth. He spoke forthrightly. But Donald Trump, as um, Dick Morris said, he may have been brash, but he always stayed inside the lines. You know what I mean? He colored inside the lines. He knew the limitations of action. Even as president of the United States, he may have been um, tough with other people. But that toughness was based upon honesty and forthrightness and the willingness to speak the truth to power and to the powerful and the willingness to talk the people's language to them, not at them, not above them, not beyond them, but to them. Donald John Trump spoke to the people and the people responded. Not the elitist snobs in Manhattan and not the elitist snobs in um, Los Angeles, 
but to the people. And the people responded. That's what made him a great president. And I believe it's going to make him a great president again. Now, in the next episode, we're going to deal a little bit with the political realities of the current primary elections, uh, Cheney and Palin and all the kind of thing we're seeing, and the political power that uh, Donald John Trump, uh, president of the United States, uh, he's able to wield that. Not because he's a genius, but because people believe in him. And by... Why, why do they believe in him? Because he is a product of their popular political movement. He is the chosen leader of the people. Look at the rallies. 60,000 people don't come out to worship Donald John Trump. They come out because he is their chosen. He's their man. He's their champion. He's their leader. He's the one who said, I am going to do for you what you want to be done And he's doing it. And that, by the way, is probably the reason why the elite, globalist, liberal, Democrat snobs in the East Coast and the West Coast hate him because he's doing what the people want, not what the elite want. Hello, friends. This is Frederick Henry, and thank you for listening to the Frederick Henry Podcast. I'm just reading today about the Letitia James, the Attorney General of, United, of New York City, who uh, ran on the platform of I'm going to get Trump. Uh, this gal has uh, pursued and pursued um, lawsuits after uh, Mr. Trump for many, many years now. But the article I'm reading is that the, uh, what are the questions that need to be asked as the Congress and the courts review uh, uh, Donald Trump's financial records as a businessman from the years 214 to the years 218. And the question is, did he overstate his value? Did he um, uh, overstate his value in in applying for a loan? Is it a matter of, did he um, fudge his records as to profits and so on and so forth? And then regarding his presidency, the question is, did he have guests at any one of his multiple hotels who were heads of state or ambassadors or or people who could be in any possible way construed as um, gaining favor from him by staying at his hotel. And then the next case is, were the people who he invited to Mar-a-Lago, were they unduly influenced to benefit Donald Trump as uh, they had been invited to his personal home in Florida. Now, I, I hate to do this what if, what if, what if, but I, this is unprecedented. And I think as an American, I'm just going to be very truthful, I think this is totally unfair. I, I never have seen such violent, vitriolic, a dogged um, pursuit of Donald Trump and finding some kind of crime that the Democrat Party can tag on him. Letitia James is a Democrat. Uh, the head of the Oversight Committee in the Congress is a New York Democrat. Um, why should Congress be reviewing the account logs for Donald Trump's businesses? Do they, do they look at the account logs of Hunter Biden? Do they look at the account logs of the 495 congressmen and senators? We all know. A congressman go into the uh, 
the House of Representatives or into the Senate worth of 500,000, 700,000, and they leave five or seven or 10 years later worth 25 million, 30 million, 50 million, 125 million. Are their accounts uh, examined? Uh, do we question whether they were unduly influenced by uh, people who paid them money? Uh, do they have insider trading knowledge? I mean, the, 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 the amount of things that could be done based upon the precedent, based upon the precedent that we can go after Donald Trump. And I think that's what I am very concerned about the Republican Party. I have not seen a Republican AG, uh, Attorney General, uh, sue for uh, Hunter Biden's uh, financial records and for um, President uh, Biden's influence on Hunter Biden's financial records. In other words, there is a connection between the son and the father. We all know that. That's very common knowledge. Yet no Republican... AG or congressman or senator has sued anybody to get access to these financial records of the dealings of President Biden when he was vice president to see if he is guilty of breaking the emoluments clause or if he's guilty of um, being unduly influenced by the bribes of the um, people. We don't even know where the $40 billion being given to the Zelensky crime certificate is going. And not one, not not anybody, not even one Congress. Oh, they whine. The Republican congressmen whine. They cry. They clutch their breasts. They beat their breasts. They wring their hands. They say, oh, 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 what if, what if. But nobody files a lawsuit. Nobody files a criminal charge. Nobody demands to see the accounting records of, of these people, Hillary Clinton. We don't demand to see what happened to the $125 million given to the Haiti Fund. Is that because it was involved also with the Bushes, you know, friends of the Bushes and, and all those people who gave $125 million to the charity in Haiti, of which a minuscule amount was spent in Haiti, and the rest of it was paid in uh, administrative fees and salaries and all kinds of benefits to the people who administered the fund, which I think, as an American citizen, is blatantly wrong and blatantly immoral, and I believe it's illegal. But, you know, I, let's just talk about it as an American citizen. What are we talking about when we're talking about accounting procedures? Let's use a bank loan. The bank puts something in front of you and says, well, you want to borrow a million dollars. You claim that you're worth $5 billion. And um, the bank looks at a couple of records and says, yeah, we're satisfied you're worth $5 billion. And here's your loan. Now, whose responsibility is that? Let's just say that I was only worth $2 billion. And I went to a bank and I said, I want to borrow $100 million. And I state in the application form that I'm worth $4 billion. It's up to the bank to use due diligence to find out whether or not I'm worth $4 billion or $2 billion. In my opinion, as a citizen, I don't know what the legalities are. And I think any kind of nuanced legality is just a lot of poppycock on the parts of those who want to pursue and uh, subdue Donald Trump. So let's say $2, million, $2 billion, I say it's $4 billion, and the bank looks at the paperwork and says, oh, that's fine, here's, here's your $100 million loan, pay it back at uh, 17% interest over five years, and this is the rate. That's the bank's responsibility. That's the bank's due diligence. That's the bank's decision to accept my paperwork in order to give me the loan, because why? Because they want to make the 17% profit. 
They want to make the loan profit. That's what banks do. They give loans to make profit. That's what interest payments are. And so are you really beschnookering a bank when you tell them you're worth $4 billion when you're only worth $2 billion, and they give you the $100 million loan and you pay it back? Now, there's nobody telling us that Donald Trump has defaulted, that he hasn't paid his bills, that he hasn't paid his loans, that he hasn't honored his credit obligations, that he has cheated the government out of their taxes. But somehow or other, we have to pursue, 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 pursue uh, Donald Trump when congressmen... Nancy Pelosi, what is she worth now? $125 million or $225 million. We all know about her, her dealings and so forth and so forth. The other congressman who knew all about the postal, um, what was her name, Feinstein, she knew all about which postal properties were being sold, and her husband, a real estate broker, got involved in buying up all the excess postal properties. Oh, oh he didn't have insider trading. He just, uh, that information, <laughs> wink, 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 wink. He just knew that by osmosis on the pillow, you know. He didn't know that uh, Nancy knew and that Nancy told him. He didn't even hear her when she told him which properties are being sold and, and, and so forth, whoever it is. See, I, I think the American people are sick and tired of the dual standard. I think we're sick and tired of the witch hunt. And I think there's only one solution. I really do. I think there's only one solution. That is, number one, we have to mark down the Democrats who are persistently and consistently and violently pursuing a crime. They'll do anything to find a crime. They don't know there's a crime. They don't see evidence of a crime. But they will get everything they possibly can, phone records, um, paper records, uh, conversational records, anecdotal material, uh, traders like Saramucci and Amorosa and other people who wrote Tolal books. I find them and do everything they can to try to get this guy. We've got to get him, you know. American people don't like that. And I think the only answer to that is to mark down those people, and including the January 6th committee, who do that and to vote them out of office. Now, you have to be having an alternative. So the only way we're going to have an alternative is if the Republican Party puts up an alternative candidate, any alternative candidate, put up the door catcher. But as long as the Republican, at least in name only, I hate that rhino thing, but even if it's just a rhino, to get a Democrat out, put a rhino in. It doesn't matter. The Democrat is worse than the rhino because the rhino at least has a conscience. I don't think a Democrat, since they vote yes or no, as they are told, as they are ordered to do, as they are sent a little white card, say you will do this and you will do that, and in lockstep obedience, they do it. Just like a good fascist party member, just like a good communist party member, just like a good um, Nazi party member. Uh, uh, the Democrats, they, they, they just look all, all, all um, credibility. So oust the Democrats. I, I think we should oust every Democrat, every single one of them. Every congressperson who's a Democrat should be ousted in favor of the Republican, no matter who the Republican is, draw a catcher or otherwise. That's the only way we can send a message and correct the, the egregious um, use of the power of government and the power of law 
against political opponents because we're turning into a communist nation, we're turning into a vengeful nation, and the only way you can meet power is with power. This kind of beating your breast and wringing your hands and going, oh my, oh my, what about this, what about that, what if it was a Republican, what if it was a Democrat, what about this Hillary, <laughs> that's garbage, garbage. The second thing is we have to oust Republicans who have voted with the Democrats to hurt Donald Trump. And that's to be also McCarthy and McConnell, because both of them were not supportive of MAGA. They did not support Make America Great Again programs under Donald Trump when he was president. And that is why Donald Trump had to write so many executive orders, because the Congress would not under the leadership of McConnell and under the leadership of McCarthy, would not pass le- le- uh, legislation supporting the, uh, the initiatives of Donald Trump. And so as soon as Biden got into office, he just erased all those uh, programs, just presto magic, just did away with the executive orders like that, presto magic, done. And that means that McCarthy as a leader and other leaders of the Republican Party and... Uh, leaders in the Senate who are up for election have to be held accountable. And I think they should be unelected. Now, that means maybe a Democrat gets in. That's terrible. I, th- I don't know what to do about that. It's a conundrum for us. So if we can't oust uh, the Republican because a Democrat will get in because there is no alternative. Now, there are independent candidates almost on every ballot. Uh, there are other party-affiliated candidates on every ballot. Maybe one of these libertarians. Put a libertarian in. If a libertarian is opposing McCarthy, I'd vote for the libertarian. If an independent is a a clean independent, not a a Democrat BS guy who's making believe that he's an independent when he's really a Democrat, but... uh, uh, and we have to do our, uh, our research to figure out what's what, whether we believe these people or not. But dump McCarthy, dump uh, McConnell, and put new people in. It's enough of these people. And I think we also have to uh, demand from them. They, uh, the Republican Party is not um, strong. The Democrat Party is strong. They go in there and they pursue and they hunt and they... Um, carry out their lynch mobs and they carry out their vigilante activities and they use the legal system and they use the political system and they use the financial system and they use the press to um, destroy their enemies. Well, the Republican Party is going to have to do the same because that's what it is, the scorched earth situation. They use scorched earth against us and we have to show them. The only way we're going to save ourselves, folks, the only way we're going to save our freedoms, because they'll wait after Trump is out in, in 2028 and after the Republican Party is turned out in 2028 and the Democrats are back in, they have memories and they will do it again. And this time they will come at us without even a blink of conscience and destroy us. So we have to destroy them first because they want to destroy America. They want to destroy Republicans. They want to destroy conservatives. And they will use any agency of government to do it. So. I know this sounds like a radical process, but we're coming up against the election right now, and we must, we must uh, defeat the Democrats. We must throw them out of office. Uh, the heads of the party, the, the, um, all of them, all of these people, the people who led the J6 committee, the de- every Democrat on the J6 committee, out. Every, uh, everyone who led the um, Pelosi uh, two times against Trump impeachment uh, accusations, out. Um, 
put the dog catcher in, put the libertarian in, uh, put the put some other buddy in, you know, uh, pick some whatever. But get rid of these people because these people are the enemy, and we must be rid of them. That's the only way. I see no other way, my friends, to um, uh, cleanse the system of the tyranny that we're watching in front of us. As an American, back to the Trump thing again on on this uh, accounting business. I am egregiously insulted, annoyed, and in total disagreement with uh, the President Trump's having his accounting records, his taxes, and his other financial dealings um, put before the Congress. It's being done using the legal system against him he entered office, I think, a five billionaire. I think he en- left office about a four point one billionaire. So he lost about almost a billion dollars while he was in office, and he gave his salary back to the government, or he gave the salary. He didn't take the salary, but he gave it away to uh, uh, charities every quarter. And uh, what more do you want? Um, he's withstood two uh, impeachments. I mean, it's it's, a, and I think this this accounting thing is going to just go by the board also. But the the fact that one individual human being could be the victim, unjustly the victim of so many uh, evil-minded, rabid, um, uh, liberal Democrat um, dogs, I, I I just can't even. Okay, well, anyway, I've said what I'm going to say. Thanks for listening. Maybe you feel the same way. Maybe you think I'm crazy. I don't know. But I I have to express myself through these, and I share them with you, and I know I get a pretty good response through this this, uh, method. method. And uh, maybe you can express yourself uh, also. um, Because I'm sure if, if you're anything like me, you're getting extremely frustrated with... Uh, the uh, Republican Party and uh, and now we have the new deal with America from McCarthy give me a break give me a break I, I, I don't believe he's going to do it uh, he's going to unfund the, the 84,000 IRS agents the first day in office he's not going to do that he's not going to do that because it come by our guy you know let's all get along all sweet talking around the campfire hold hands sing come by our because we have to have bipartisan cooperation now there has been no no Democrat not one Democrat who has been involved in bipartisan cooperation during the last two years and before that, during the four years of the Trump administration, there were no, again, one more time, no Democrats who participated in bipartisan cooperation. And now we expect that if we gain the House and gain the Senate, that we can just go, oh, let's all be sweetie, nicey, pa- buddy, palsy, wowsy. Oh, yeah, they'll be sweetie, nicey, palsy, wowsy until they gain the power back and then they'll cut everybody's throat. Let's get real about this stuff, folks. That's the way the Democrats play the game. Okay, friends, this is Frederick Henry, and you've listened to the Frederick Henry Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And why? I understand why, after the election, uh, people were upset. I was upset. I remember awakening and thinking to myself, well, maybe uh, Donald Trump, maybe not. Uh, I've been a Trump person since the beginning. I was confident that he did a good job. I believe that he did do a good job. 
I felt that uh, there was a tremendous amount of, of what has become known as the swamp. Uh, I don't like that phrase, but it seems to be appropriate. Came out against him. And uh, what surprised me uh, ultimately was that uh, he lost the election in 2020. And so I've stuck by him because I think he, he could have gone into the sunlight, you know, ridden off into the sunlight like uh, Ronald Reagan, I guess, or somebody in a movie. But he didn't. He stayed as a fighter. He, he felt that he was uh, uh, abused. He felt that the American voter had been abused. He felt that the system had been abused. And he felt that he was the one who had to fight it. And he did fight it. Now, the thing about Donald Trump's fighting is he fights fiercely. He fights strongly. He fights in a manly way. Um, but he fights on the board, on straight out. It, it, nothing under the covers, nothing behind the curtains, no stabbing in the back, just straight out um, fighting. And I think it would be uh, notable that he keeps it within the limits. It's inside the lines. He doesn't do anything illegal. Actually, you know, people say nasty or vicious or mean. How about blunt and straightforward and truth? That's how I would see it. So when uh, the midterms came and everybody started saying, well, we're going to have a red wave, we're going to have a red wave, I wondered to myself, well, gee, you know, I hope we have a red wave because we need to get out of this uh, problem we're having with the border and with inflation and with the gas and with the oil and the diesel and on and on. And so I woke up in the morning and thought to myself, oh, gee, oh, gee, no red wave. Uh, maybe Donald Trump's not the answer. But... You know, I've taken a few days to cool off and relax and take a viewpoint. Actually, the Republican Party did very well in the midterms. Uh, they gained the House. Uh, they equalized the Senate. Uh, a lot of races were called in favor of Republicans. They gained governorships. Yeah, we have the Cary Lake problem, and we have some other problems, which are lingering issues, the Pennsylvania problem with Fetterman. But I think ultimately uh, the Republican Party should be proud of itself and, and President Trump should be proud of himself for having carried out a very good and solid and successful campaign in the midterms. Now, after that was all over with and I had adjusted myself, I read the editorial of the Newsmax in favor of Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. And I have to honestly say... I'm not a big Kevin McCarthy fan. I think he was kind of weak. He was kind of wussy. He was kind of like uh, non-involved. But maybe he had to be. Maybe uh, being uh, uh, straightforward and uh, uh, strong like Trump would be counterproductive. Maybe he just had to survive as a congressman and survive as a leader. And I think he did that very well. And there is MAGA article called him a supporter of Trump, a supporter of MAGA, and a man of dignity and integrity. So I've changed my mind based upon Trump's own endorsement of McCarthy and Newsmax's endorsement of McCarthy, and some of the more conservative members of the House who also endorsed McCarthy. And so, so far, his actions seem to have been good um, with the removal of certain people from certain committees and a straightforward approach to what he plans to do in the future in terms of righting the wrongs of the past. Now, personally, I'm not big on bipartisanship. I think it's a, a joke. Uh, the Democrats were never big on bipartisanship. They never cried hands across the aisle. They weren't the ones who came over to the Republicans. As a matter of fact, I would say probably in the four years of Donald Trump's uh, administration and two years of Biden's administration, I think the uh, Democrats never, ever voluntarily cooperated with the Republicans. So 
I don't see the purpose of bipartisanship. I mean, this is politics. It's a rough game. It's a tough game. It's supposed to be a tough game and a rough game, I guess. And uh, and I think the Republican Party has to hang tough and not uh, worry about being uh, gaining the approval of people who have acted. You may not think of the guys uh, who you work with in the Congress as your enemies, but um, and they're probably not your enemies, but they're not your friends. And you don't care about what your enemies believe about you. You don't, you don't seek the approval of your enemies. You don't ask your enemies to work with you when you know that they're going to turn around and stab you in the back, as the Democrats often do. So I'm not a big deal on bipartisanship. Now, Mitch McConnell, well, I think that uh, I wish it was better than it was. Uh, I, I, I know that McConnell was a big help to Trump in the in legislation in his term. When he was president, I know that he helped getting the 300 judges in, and Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, big, big pluses. And then there was that January 6th uh, uh, fiasco all around. And I think that McConnell honestly and and uh, truthfully believed that uh, this didn't happen to be. So he made that terrible speech on the floor of the Senate. I hated the speech. I thought it was a terrible speech. I thought he should have cut, kept his mouth shut, but he didn't. And it, it, it elicited a violent response from President Trump, which I didn't think was necessary either. And I didn't think that uh, he should have done what he did in um, attacking uh, McConnell, Leader McConnell. And Leader McConnell probably will be the senior man in the um, Senate, or at least the senior uh, man in the majority, minority group. Because we didn't, I don't think it's 50-50. I think it's going to be 50-50, which is quite unique. Almost every vote will require Harris, which is in itself quite unique. Uh, we only have two years of this to go, so we have to watch closely as to what we allow to be voted on. And one of the things I would be strongly about, other than the border, is no more aid to Ukraine because it's being wasted. It's being utilized by our own military forces, Milley, uh, Austin, the Secretary of Defense, others. They're all in on World War III. I, I really believe that, and we have to say no to World War III, and that means no money for Zelensky. Himself retirement than a dictator. He's no democratic person. He's no uh, freedom-loving person. He has closed down the opposition newspapers. He's closed down the opposition parties. He's closed down the parliament, basically. And he's uh, even jailed his opposition leader. So uh, this man is not uh, to be supported. Uh, just, I think we should abandon Zelensky. I know the left and the Democrats and the liberals and the globalists want to make him the hero of the day. He's not. He's an actor. He's a burlesque actor. And he was a dirty uh, porno type burlesque actor. Very, very dirty stuff that he produced. I don't know how he ever became president of the Ukraine in the first place. It doesn't speak well of the Ukrainian people. But then again, having Biden as president of the United States doesn't speak well of the American people either. So. I think that's all for now. I'm, I happen to be in an airport. Uh, I'm also testing this out to see if we can get rid of the background noise according to the uh, app here on uh, um, Anchor. They say you can record anywhere and all this background noise will disappear. So I'm going to see if it's going to really happen, and I hope it does because this has been a good broadcast. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I'm Frederick Henry, and you've been listening to The Frederick Henry Show. Have a good day.